Hello and welcome to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written in Indianapolis by Adrian Peterson and produced in the studios of WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida. I'm Jeff White. This is edition NWS 694 for release on Sunday, June 12, 2022. On WaveScan today, the 100-year story of medium wave WLW in Cincinnati, Ohio. We continue Jonathan Marks's documentary about Radio Prague. Thoughts on the continued importance of shortwave radio. More about this year's NASB annual meeting in Washington, D.C., and how you can participate. And our Philippine DX report from Henry Umarai. More than a hundred years ago, Powell Crosley made the first broadcast from his own locally built radio station. At the time, radio was very young, and Crosley was just 24 years old, as Ray Robinson tells us. Thanks, Jeff. The new amateur radio station was installed in the living room of the family home at 5723 Davy Road in College Hill in suburban Cincinnati. And as was frequently the custom in those days, Crossley had not yet received any form of official radio licence. That very first historic radio broadcast occurred in the month of April 1921. On numerous occasions, Crosley played the only gramophone record he owned over his primitive radio station, and that recording contained the popular song from that era, The Song of India, the melody of which you heard at the opening of our programme today. However, give another four months to August 1921, and the official Department of Commerce in Washington, D.C. then awarded Crosley with three radio licences and three call signs. The 20-watt amateur radio station in the family home at College Hill was granted the call sign 8CR. A radio transmitter in the small radio factory at 1625 Blue Rock Street, near downtown Cincinnati, was granted two call signs, the amateur call sign 8XY and also the call sign 8XAA as an experimental special land station. It was on March 2, 1922, that Crossley was awarded the desired broadcasting licence, actually number 62, for his radio station, together with a consecutive, though randomly allocated, call sign, the now well-known WLW. It took some time to make all of the various arrangements for the opening programme, and thus three weeks later, on Thursday, March 23, 1922, the newly identified medium wave station WLW in Cincinnati, Ohio, staged its official inauguration event. The studio for this new radio venture was set up in a small room on the second floor of Crossley's small radio factory at 1625 Blue Rock Street in Cincinnati. Thick black curtains made out of traditional monk's cloth were stretched across the ceiling and hung upon the walls in order to deaden any sound reverberations. A Persian rug or carpet also served the same purpose on the flooring, and the two windows were closed in an effort to reduce the noise emitted by passing railway trains. The temperature inside the primitive studio was stifling due to the heat emitted from the active transmitter which was installed in the same studio room. The studio also contained a player piano or pianola, a phonograph record player and a new morning glory microphone with its traditional wide horn three feet across. 
Two 40-foot radio towers were erected on the roof of the building, with four wires strung between them as the antenna system. Two newspapers in Cincinnati, The Inquirer and The Times Star, each carried a full-page advertisement on the day before the official opening of the handsome new WLW. Details and events of the grand opening were given, including an outline of the inaugural broadcast. The recently constructed 50-watt transmitter was switched into service around 7.15pm, and it is stated that the actual programming began at about 7.30pm on March 23, 1922. We should also add that the first two Crossley transmitters, the 20-watt 8CR in the family home at College Hill and the 50-watt WLW in the small radio factory on Blue Rock Road, were both designed and built by Crossley employee Dorman Israel. Participants in the opening programme included Paul Crosley as the Master of Ceremonies and there were three musicians, violinist William K. Knox, pianist Romeo Gorno and his soloist brother Giacinto Gorno who sang a classic prologue from the opera Pagliacci. The Mayor of Cincinnati, the Honourable George P. Carell, welcomed the new WLW to the radio scene in Cincinnati. Information regarding coming programs over the new WRW was also given during the opening ceremony, such as news, information, lectures, music and entertainment. And yes, it did happen. At one stage during the opening ceremonies, the presentation of the evening programming was temporarily halted while a noisy railway train passed the factory building with its new radio station on the second floor. And we plan to bring more information about the new WLW in a future edition. So back to you, Jeff. Thank you very much. Ray Robinson at KVOH in Los Angeles. Well, today on Wayscan, we're continuing our serialization of a documentary by Jonathan Marks, formerly of Radio Netherlands, dedicated to the late Aldrich Chip of Radio Prague. Now, you had two types of jamming in those days. You had Skywave jamming. And you also had local jamming, and presumably yes. this was local. This was this was the local one. This was uh, the I remember well because as a shortwave listener, I, I was listening to shortwaves, BBC, and also Czech services, Radio Free Europe uh, on shortwaves. And I remember well also the call sign of that station of those transmitters, it was Z3, Z3 was uh, denoted this particular installation. So they were broadcasting noise and you heard Morse code over the top? And there was, there was this very annoying wideband noise and at intervals, maybe minutes intervals, approximately, there was this Morse code uh, identification and this was as you asked me this was the short uh, short uh, short coverage uh, for for Prague only uh, several transmitters on the air constantly covering a lot of frequencies and when there was snow on the ground or uh, raining the conduct you know the conductivity of the soil on the petrin and uh, in Prague was was high and there was a lot of spurious uh, signals, so the, the, the whole spectrum was covered with uh, jamming signals. But if, I, if we went into our, uh, in, into our country house, 
outside Prague. And if you knew how propagation uh, works, so you could always find some frequencies that were not covered by, by jamming. By coincidence, I was, there were, of course, many probably jamming stations. I still don't know their locations in the Czechoslovak Republic. But at least one important was located near the installation of transmitting stations of Czech radio, of Czechoslovak radio near Litomyšov and the, near the village Litomyšl Pohodli and there was a funny situation in that the, the, there was a site with five shortwave transmitters using for broadcasting and on the, on the other side of the road there was a jamming site and I recalled uh, that uh, there was a frequency in the 17 megahertz band for Radio Prague that was used on that uh, legitimate Radio Prague site and uh, uh, there was by coincidence there was a Radio Free Europe frequency 5 kilohertz away from that station and it was jammed from the station thus just across the road <laughs> from the uh, Check, you know, so this was this was a crazy situation. <laughs> lovely story, lovely story. <laughs> because of the way shortwave radio propagates in long hops, jamming stations in Czechoslovakia might be directed to block reception of Western broadcasts hundreds of miles away in the Baltic states or in Russia. It was also uh, internationally organized. Uh, there was an ongoing cooperation as, as far. Of course, I didn't know uh, the details, but uh, for instance, the Litomyshu site transmitters were operating towards Russia. Uh, there the, the, the were directional system uh, radiating the jamming signals towards the east. And, uh, and presumably the reason for the Morse code was that monitoring stations were checking whether it was effective. And uh, they were also checking if the stations operate the way they should. You know, it was a sort of over, overseeing. Somebody had to, to keep uh, checking if, if all the stations that should be there are really operating. Otherwise, it was anonymous, you know. <laughs> The Communists fight Radio Free Europe with all their strength. They spend more money annually trying to jam out the Western broadcasts than Radio Free Europe spends transmitting them. My name is Ronald Reagan. Last year, the contributions of 16 million Americans to the Crusade for Freedom made possible the World Freedom Bell, symbol of hope and freedom to the communist-dominated peoples of Eastern Europe, and built this powerful 135,000-watt Radio Free Europe transmitter in Western Germany. This station daily pierces the Iron Curtain with the truth, answering the lies of the Kremlin and bringing a message of hope to millions trapped behind the Iron Curtain. Grateful letters from listeners smuggled past the secret police express thanks to Radio Free Europe for identifying communist quislings and informers by name. The Crusade for Freedom is your chance and mine to fight communism. Join now by sending your contributions to General Clay, 
Crusade for Freedom, Empire State Building, New York City. Or join in your local community. But on May 8th, 1968, Czechoslovakia suddenly stopped all its local jamming, except for some transmissions of RFE. But skywave jamming from Russia continued. That was part of a documentary by Jonathan Marks of Media Network dedicated to the memory of Ulrich Chip of Radio Prague. We'll have more of that documentary on a future edition of WaveScan. And if you want to find other programs on the Media Network Vintage Vault, you can find it on the web at Jonathan Marks, that's J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N-M-A-R-K-S dot L-I-B-S-Y-N dot com. That's L-I-B as in Bolivia, S-Y-N dot com. Now a few items from a recent edition of Radio World, a magazine for the radio industry published in the United States. In the May 25th issue, there's an article about Tom King, the president of Kintronic Labs, an AM radio engineering company based in Tennessee. King is handing his position over to his son, Joshua. Tom King was asked if he was surprised at the resilience of shortwave radio. His reply was as follows. In certain parts of the world, shortwave is still a widely listened to medium. China is a large shortwave user. They're the largest shortwave DRM broadcaster in the world. India has shortwaves in DRM and analog, and there are shortwaves in Africa. VOA has largely gone to internet delivery versus terrestrial, which I think is a big mistake in terms of reaching the most people. But obviously it has great attraction from the standpoint of low cost. AM on shortwave, from the standpoint of distance and mass audience coverage, is still a very effective medium. Atmospheric properties lend itself to those services, and folks like Transworld Radio and Far East Broadcasting want to reach their audiences from a distance because the countries are closed to inside broadcasting. The thoughts of Tom King of Kintronic Labs. Incidentally, his company designed the shortwave corner reflector antenna used by WRMI in Miami until the station moved to Okeechobee in 2013. Elsewhere in the same issue of Radio World, Roxandra Obreja, ex-BBC senior manager and current chairman of the DRM consortium, commented on the BBC World Service's 90 years. She said, Shortwave listening received a boost recently when broadcasters rapidly reinstated shortwave broadcasts to provide information and support to dislocated people and those eager to access uncensored external information in Ukraine and Russia. The BBC World Service ended its shortwave broadcast to Eastern Europe in 2008, but in 2022, after the banning of its popular Russian-language websites and the persecution of journalists in Russia, the BBC quickly increased transmissions of the BBC World Service via shortwave radio to four hours per day to ensure that people in affected parts of Russia and Ukraine can access its news service. The UK government has just allocated an additional four million pounds of funding for the BBC World Service to provide such services. Shortwave never disappeared in most of the world. However, in Europe, with its dense population and excellent infrastructure, the technique is considered power-hungry and unnecessary in times of peace and stability. Even so, BBC World Service 
As one of the developers and users of the only open, all-band digital broadcasting technology, Digital Radio Mondial, or DRM, is still broadcasting in DRM shortwave to Europe for short times daily, and is testing DRM from Cyprus as we speak, though in medium wave. Dr. Simon Keynes, Sales and Business Development Manager at Ampagon Power Electronics of Switzerland, a supplier of shortwave transmitters, believes this perception of tech from the past, particularly shortwave, may have obscured the great advantages of modern shortwave. That was part of an article by Roxandra Elbrasia, chairman of the DRM Consortium in Radio World. In the same edition of the magazine in the Reader's Forum, reader Mike Pappas commented on the same topic. He wrote, After abandoning shortwave as outdated and not necessary, one only has to look at the current conflict in Eastern Europe to see the value of shortwave. We've all embraced the modern technologies as they come online, but they're fragile. Between the damage to the public internet infrastructure in Ukraine, to Russia pulling the plug on citizens' ability to access news networks outside of Russia, to the BBC trying to get people to use VPN. Seriously? It's the antiquated, outdated shortwave that gets the message through. There's a lesson to be learned here. Old tech is reliable, it is cost-effective, and it gets the message through when nothing else does. All of those high-tech solutions, whether they are cell phones or the public internet, are prone to failure when you really need them the most. Let's not abandon the tried and true outdated modes. Comments from Mike Pappas in Radio World magazine. And particularly for our WaveScan listeners in North America, we want to let you know again about the 2022 annual meeting of the NASB, the National Association of Shortwave Broadcasters. And I said North America, but we also have people from overseas who have attended past NASB meetings, and the same will probably be true this year. The NASB is the Association for Privately Owned Shortwave Stations in the United States, but it has associate members from all over who are interested in shortwave radio. And you don't even have to be a member to attend the annual meeting. Shortwave listeners attend every year, and they are most welcome. The 2022 NASB annual meeting will take place July 14th to 16th at the headquarters of Radio Free Asia in Washington, D.C. It's a fascinating location, and many people are eager to attend because the NASB did not have an annual meeting in 2020 and 2021 due to the pandemic. Well, here's a brief look at the meeting agenda. It's going to start on Thursday, July 14th. The meeting will begin at 12 noon local time with tours of Radio Free Asia, followed by presentations about various aspects of shortwave radio until 5 p.m. Thursday afternoon. The idea of beginning the meeting at noon is so that people from the eastern U.S. can perhaps fly in on Thursday morning and arrive in time for the meeting at noon, saving them a night of hotel expense in Washington on Wednesday. And local attendees may be able to get a in a half day of work on Thursday morning. Well, at 7 p.m. on Thursday, there will be a group dinner paid for by the NESB at Teddy and the Bully Bar, a restaurant located a short walk from Radio Free Asia and the St. Gregory Hotel, where attendees will be staying. That's right next to Radio Free Asia. 
The menu at Teddy and the Bully Bar reflects President Theodore Roosevelt's love for simple American comfort food. Many aspects of President Roosevelt's life and the era in which he led the U.S. were incorporated into the look and feel of the restaurant, including old-time coffee pots, gas-powered light fixtures, faux taxidermy, Mount Rushmore-themed art, a beautiful restored antique stove, and a birch forest diorama designed to invoke Roosevelt's love of the outdoors and his national park's legacy. Will there be a full day of meetings on Friday, July 15th with lunch break? Presenters will include Jérôme Irigoyen of Télédiffusion de France with an update on TDF's DRM cast program. TDF transmits many stations and programs from its huge shortwave site in Issoudun, France. Christopher Rombo of DRM North America will have an affordable receiver petting zoo with a bunch of new crop, reasonable, and cheap shortwave receivers. Another session will be about shortwaves for freedom, the crowdfunding campaign to transmit shortwave programs in English and Russian to Russia, Ukraine, and Eastern Europe during the Ukraine war. Also speaking will be Dr. Kim Andrew Elliott, producer of the popular program Shortwave Radiogram. Mike Sabin will give an update from Transworld Radio. And there will be many more talks and presentations. On Saturday, July 16th, from 9 a.m. to 12 noon, the NASB annual business meeting will include updates from NASB member stations and associate members, including KSDA in Guam, WWCR in Tennessee, KVOH in California, WEWN in Alabama, WRMI in Florida, KNLS in Alaska, KTWR in Guam, uh, TDF in France, and more. We also expect to have participation by personnel from Radio Free Asia, the U.S. Agency for Global Media, and the FCC. Again, the NASB 2022 Annual Meeting is July 14th to 16th at Radio Free Asia in Washington, D.C. Anyone with an interest in shortwave radio, listening, or broadcasting is most welcome. There's no charge to attend the meeting, and you only need to pay your own travel and accommodation costs. The NASB has arranged a special rate at the St. Gregory Hotel right next to RFA. For complete information, go to the NASB website, which is www.shortwave.org. That's www.shortwave.org. Then click on Annual Meeting Info. By the way, WaveScan will be at the NASB meeting. I will be there, as will Jerry Plummer and Brady Murray of WWCR, Glenn Tapley of WEWN, representatives of Adventist World Radio, and of most of the NASB members from throughout the U.S. And now to the Philippines. Here's Henry Umatai with his monthly DX report. Hello everyone, to our dear shortwave listeners, wherever you are, welcome to the June 12th edition of the Philippine DX. This is report number 183. I'm Henry Omatay in Bacolod City, Negros Occidental Central Philippines. Glad to be back and thank you for listening. Today is the 124th observance of the Philippine Independence Day. To all Filipinos around the world, happy Independence Day. I would like to thank our DXR friends for sending the report. Mr. Richard Lemke in Alberta, Canada. Mr. Patrick Rubrik 
in Austria. Thank you very much. Reception logs for May 2022. May 1, NSK World Radio Japan on 15280 in Japanese from Ibaragi Koga Yamaka at 0915 SIO 433. May 7, All India Radio on 13795 in Chinese from Bengaluru at 1046 SIO 444. May 7, Radio Taiwan International on 12065 in Hakka from Paochong at 1056 SIO 454. May 7, Voice of America on 15250 in Chinese from Tinang at 1218 SIO 333. May 14, Transworld Radio KTWR on 12020 in Mongolian from Mariso Guam at 1054 SIO 333. May 14, FAVISA Radio on 12095 in Lu. From Bukawi Bulacan at 1056-SIO-434. May 14, KBS Old Radio on 9770 in Chinese. From Kim Che at 1210-SIO-333. May 14, Radio Free Asia on 9580 in Korean. From Pao at 1141-SIO-555. May 14, Voice of America on 11965 in English. From Tinang at 1221-SIO-444. May 22, RTMY Limbang FM on 11665 in Malayalam from Kajang at 0823 SAO444 May 22 Hope Radio on 9965 in English from Palau Midorn at 0824 SAO444 May 22 Radio Taiwan International on 11745 in Japanese from Pauchong at 0823-SIO444, May 22, Adventist World Radio on 17540 in Nulacano from Agat Guam, FN33, SIO454, and May 29, Rich Bihar, Australia on 9580 in Korean from Kununura at 0934-SIO444. Send us your comments, suggestions, reception logs, and informations to PilipinasDX at Gmail. Dot com. That's P-I-L-I-P-I-N-A-S-D-X for Pilipinas DX at gmail.com. This has been Henry Umaday for Wavescan in Bacolod City, Negros Occidental Central, Philippines, Sayma Buhay at Maraming. Salamat po. Thank you, Henry. And we had WaveScan today with folk music from Bangladesh. Thanks for listening to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written in Indianapolis by Adrian Peterson. Next week, the powerful United States Naval Radio Station at Tarlac in the Philippines. And our Bangladesh DX report. Several QSL cards are available. Send your AWR and KSDA reception reports for WaveScan to the AWR address in Bangkok, Thailand, and also to the station your radio is tuned to, WRMI or WWCR or KVOH or Voice of Hope Africa, or to IRRS Italy, or to the AWR relay stations that carry WaveScan. Remember, too, you can send a reception report to the DX reporters when their segment is on the air here in WaveScan, and they will also verify with their own colorful QSL card. Return postage and an address label are always appreciated. The email address for AWR QSLs is qsl at awr 
www.awrqsl.org. The postal address for AWRQSL cards is Adventist World Radio, P.O. Box 234, Prakanong, that's P-R-A-K-A-N-O-N-G, Bangkok, 10110, Thailand. Again, Adventist World Radio, P.O. Box 234, Prakanong, Bangkok, 10110, Thailand. The email address for other correspondence to WaveScan is wavescan at awr.org. I'm Jeff White at WRMI in Okeechobee, Florida, USA. Till next week, good listening, everyone. <laughs>